Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. Our guest today is DUI defense attorney Mike Nichols with the Nichols Law Firm in East Lansing, Michigan. Attorney Nichols has repeatedly been named one of the top 100 lawyers in the state of Michigan for criminal defense by Thomson Reuters. I began the interview by asking Mike about himself. The way I got here is pretty unusual. I started in radio broadcasting. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. Right out of high school. Yeah, because I was trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do? Yeah. I, was, I was really bored as a student at Roscommon High School, and um, RHS produced some pretty strong students, and, and a lot of my friends were going off to college, to Michigan State and the University of Michigan. Uh, some of them were going into the military, and I just I had no ambition and no clue, and then I thought um, maybe I'll just get into radio. A guy named Bob Dittmer Jr. came to our uh, high school senior year and just made a pitch about this program that they did with the local community college up north. Listeners can't see it, but I'm showing you where Kirtland Community College is. And, um, you know, I, I told my youngest Father's Day the other day when we were out walking, I don't remember what my GPA was because I don't want to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad because you know, I want you to get a much better uh, academic resume than I ever. <laughs> and uh, so I did one year at Kirtland taking classes in the evening and working at uh, good old WQON, uh, Northern Michigan's FM 100. Uh, and I did that for from about September until about March. And then uh, the Dittmer family who um, owned QON renov- or rejuvenated, I guess, uh, the AM daytime station they had in St. John's. Okay. Just a little, just a, box maybe as big as my my office here at the Nichols Law Firm uh, in basically the middle of a cornfield on West Parks Road in St. John's. And he uh, gave me the opportunity to work for the grand sum of four twenty five an hour as the news director and sports director. And of course, I did the morning drive. And uh, that was uh, about a year and a half of my life. And uh, from there, I, um, I I got an opportunity at uh, a place called the Great Lakes Media Group, which was a statewide network. They distributed news and sports and other programming. And I got an opportunity there. And so that got me from St. John's, 20 minutes south or so to East Lansing, and uh, met one of my best friends, a guy named Brian Sterling who's now the um, main anchor at uh, Wood TV 8 in Grand Rapids. And, um, you know, he just got me interested in going back to school. So I went to Lansing Community College because I had to put myself through school. I couldn't afford $80 a credit hour. (laughs) I could afford $20 a credit hour. And Michigan State wasn't ready for me because I hadn't shown that I was ready for them. Right. And so worked on that. that uh, transcript and then uh, MSU uh, accepted me about a year and a half later. Uh, By then I was seriously dating my first wife, uh, Melissa. 
and uh, she was about to graduate from Michigan State, and I transferred to Michigan State. Still took every single credit hour that I could take at the community college at, at right. Hansen, yeah. You know? And um, so I'm still working in news, and I wanted to maybe consider going to law school to become more of um, a congressional journalist, uh, a national correspondent covering the White House or maybe the Supreme Court. And um, my first wife did not want anything to do with that. But nonetheless, um, I got a job from the Great Lakes Media Group at WWJ in Detroit. And so I thought, thought, hey, I've arrived. Yeah. You know, at that point, I think it was number four, number six, CBS-owned station. Right. And I was miserable there. Um, I was driving about 50 minutes one way to work and, you know, working the dog hours and doing more writing a little bit, you know, not as much on air as really I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, I was disenchanted at, you know, what I thought the product should have been. I was too idealistic maybe. And then uh, my good friend, Brian was at channel 10 in Lansing, the NBC affiliate in Lansing. He left and went to Grand Rapids and told the news director to hire me as his replacement. And he was the weekend anchor and reporter. And so I went to channel 10 and started my uh, four-year TV news career. And then uh, went to night school at Thomas M. Cooley law school in Lansing. That's a great story, Mike. Um, Well, let's, let's move over to the attorney questions and uh, tell me what happens after a person is arrested well, in many jurisdictions, the officer, and this is going to be most of the smaller jurisdictions, uh-huh. the officer files the ticket with the court and then takes it to the prosecutor's office. And then the prosecutor decides, you know, this is what I'm going to do with the case. I'm going to charge it as a high BAC or just a straight up OWI. And then there's always that lesser, they call it a lesser, but that's nonsense. It's not really a lesser that's just a way for the jury to feel better about convicting you of operating while visibly impaired. So then the prosecutor's got to make that all those charging decisions. And in the meantime, you know, if you get a lawyer, you as a team, you know, you're looking for the officer's training, the officer's disciplinary records. You're looking for all of the records related to the method for the chemical test, whether it was blood test there will be records related to the functionality of the instrument used for a blood test. And there will be records if it's a breath test for, you know, how well the instrument was working that sampled your breath. And you need to look behind that and see what's there. If anything, a lot of the time, you know, you're not going to find much there, but you always got to look because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that one time that it's there and you don't see it, Right. I mean, right. that's to my way of thinking, that's below the standard of care for someone who calls himself a DUI attorney. So with that, uh, with that arrest, then do they do they take my license and what what do I do about getting to work and stuff after that? In most states, with some exceptions, uh, Michigan, for example, They'll take the the photo license that you have. Right. They'll take that. And if they know that your chemical test result is above the legal limit, 
then they simply cut it up. But if they take you for a blood test and they don't know, the officer is supposed to hang on to uh, his or her driver license until they know. You know, it might be a 0.07, right? Right. right. So, so you'll lose you'll lose this, right? The the driver license, but they give you what's called a 620. It's in Michigan. It's called a 625G, but it's essentially a paper license that allows you to drive for any reason until and unless the case is disposed. That is unless you are accused of refusing the post-arrest chemical test. Okay. Okay. And if, and if that happens, then you've got a whole second, you've got a different case. It's an administrative case where you're fighting in the secretary of state to maintain your driving privileges. The officer simply has to show he or she had reasonable grounds to arrest you. Right. Made a valid arrest of you for a drunk driving crime, read you your, your implied consent rights and that you unreasonably withheld your consent to the chemical test. So there could be two things going on that could cause you to lose driving privileges. If you accept the chemical test, you don't withhold your consent, you take it. There's just what happens on the criminal case that will potentially affect your driving privileges. So you talked about the chemical test. Is that separate from the roadside examination okay absolutely yeah absolutely that there's a handheld pbt that is the roadside test right in michigan that's nothing more than a fine if you refuse that and it's also not admissible in michigan right right okay in some case some states i'm sorry it can be admissible to simply show that you had alcohol in your system i believe california is one of those states so the chemical test after the arrest at either the jail or the hospital is different than the roadside PBT. If I'm found guilty, do I have to do jail time? Let's say on a DUI first, let's use that as the example. First offense, probably you you will not do jail time in most courts in the state of Michigan. There are some judges who are very well known for being uh, DUI jailers uh, the judges, two of the judges in the 48th district court, which is basically Bloomfield Hills, the most affluent part of the state. Uh, they're known for giving jail on first offenses. There's a judge up North who will do it sometimes, but typically no. Um, now some States that's different. Uh, some States will require jail, even on a first offense. What kind of mistakes do you see cops make with um, with a DUI stop and arrest? It's almost always and every time one of two things going on. The officer's in a hurry. Uh-huh. The officer is just simply inexperienced and maybe a little bit nervous, you know, first couple of months on the road and just can't process or it hasn't developed, you know, that rote, if this, then do that. And, and they just miss the steps that they should be taking. Do I have to go to court to be found not guilty? Can a case get dismissed before it goes to court? Well, you're probably going to have to go to court on some level if you want to, you know, get vindicated, have the case. Right. Whether that means you file a motion and maybe the prosecutor is going to see the motion and say, you know what? I think this is correct. And I don't think this officer should have made this stop or arrest or whatever, or you may have to go in front of the judge and have the judge exclude 
the chemical test or um, find that something else was not done properly. Right. Um, or you, you go in front of the jury and convince the jury that with the uncertainty in the measurement based on the chemical test, whatever the value was, whatever it was claimed to be, and all of the other uh, signs and symptoms of somebody who may have been just as impaired mm-hmm. um, or just as sober mm-hmm. as, as they were impaired. Um, that's really not a good way to say it. Um, evidence that the person was sober, even though they had alcohol in their system. Um, you know, I've had juries um, acquit people. I've had juries acquit people just because they didn't like what the officer did. Oh, yeah. Plea bargains. How many, how many plea out? How many go to court? Oh, even with my practice and I, and I probably try more cases than most. I'm probably in the 98th percentile for lawyers who take cases to court on, on drunk drivings. Still the vast majority will, will result in a, a plea based resolution where there's some sort of a sentence consideration like no jail or no probation, or the charges reduced maybe from high BAC to impaired. Most cases get resolved. And I can tell you, because I don't want to let us forget this, my okay. friend, okay. Um, the number one mistake that I think people make is when the officer says the following on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, how, how impaired do you think you are right now? I, I think people should just simply say, I don't think that's fair for me to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you're going to give um, an absolute answer, it's zero. I'm not impaired at all. Right. Right. It, it is such a trick question. I call it the scaled question. It's, it's really unfair, but I haven't found a judge yet who excluded um, the, the officer's questioning of the client in that regard. Good information to know. Prescription meds, uh, prescription meds and marijuana. How hard is uh, that to uh, to prove? That is hard for prosecutors to prove unless you've got the person who is absolutely falling down. I mean, just inebriated by whatever they they consumed. And and, and those cases are are frankly pretty rare. Okay. Those cases I find are usually combination cases, right? The person's got, you know, put it succinctly in, pe- in a pedestrian fashion, both booze and pills mm-hmm. system. Like, for example, I, I was injured recently and the, and the uh, doctor gave me uh, Norco. It's called Norco for short, but it's a very just high dosage acetaminophen. And she said, you know, don't drive after you've taken this. Take this, you know, at night. When you're getting ready to go to bed, yeah. because just it, it is going to knock you out. You you will have no idea, and, and there is no, you know, because the body with most most medications, an anti-anxiety medication is a good one, a, a benzo. Um, you, you know, you start taking it, and over a period of about a week, your body starts to, you know, your your nerves and your brain, all of those signals start to get acclimated to the impact of that that um, compound as it pierces the the blood brain barrier and you, you develop a little bit of a tolerance for it right 
there are some drugs that just, that it just doesn't work that way. And, um, you know, the, a drug that I see not infrequently is Ambien. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially when somebody, you know, will do a glass of wine and an Ambien before bed with absolutely no intention of getting up and driving. Right. And the next thing you know, they're in the back of a police car because they drove to the local gas station convenience store in their sleep. Wow. What what we call somnolent, uh, S-O-M-N-O-L-E-N-T, somnolent uh, driving. There's no intent, but yet, you know, the, what's the officer going to do, right? I mean, here's this person who's acting like a zombie passed out in their truck. And I got three calls that when they drove in, they almost hit the gas pump and almost crashed into the barrier and then, you know, walked in stumbling all over himself or herself in their slippers and PJs. Yeah. Yeah. How do those cases end up? Can you get them off or what do you do? Well, you, my strategy is to file a motion and ask the judge to allow me to admit evidence of what we call involuntary intoxication. Yeah. Okay. Involuntary intoxication in Michigan, at least, is is recognized because the whole concept going back to the very, very early development of, of criminal law is intent mm-hmm. or, or what we say in the law, mens rea. The person did not have the intent, never formed the intent. And, you know, because they didn't expect this to happen when they did this conduct, right? taking an ambient and then maybe having a, a couple of glasses of wine. Next thing you know, their, their body is, you know, they're outside their own body. Right. Their body is taking steps, getting the keys, hands, pick up the car keys, drive out to the, or uh, walk out to the driveway, get in the car and, and drive to Taco Bell. So let's say I've uh, been smoking pot for a long time, or I've got anxiety and I take Xanax and I've been taking it for a long time. And I maintain real well on it. It's hard to tell. So would the cop have to like find pot or Xanax in the car to arrest me? Um, Would I have to have been smoking a joint in the car or something? I don't know. I have a case that's really unfortunate um, that involved an accident. Uh And, you know, I've looked at the video and I listened to the client and I, I, I'm convinced that, but for the client's own admissions, about taking controlled substances, the officer would never have had enough to, to make an arrest. There was some other conduct, like, you know, pretty excessive speeding on a highway that led to the accident that was problematic. But, you know, to, to my way of thinking, another thing that people should do. So advice on how to affirmatively respond to an officer when the officer asks if you're on any medications, simply say, you know, that's between my doctor and me. I'm I'm not going to answer that. Right, right. Yeah, that is, that. that's a good answer. Okay, final question. Um, let's say I'm racked with guilt and I'm going to plead guilty. Do I still need to get an attorney? You can plead guilty all by yourself. You don't need an attorney. You always have the right to represent yourself. But what if five years down the road, you listen to a program like this one and you think, oh, you know what? I I did have eight beers, 
But then I read that 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 breath test instrument that they used on me in County X was fraudulently calibrated. Man, I could have had my case dismissed. I mean, the Constitution says the government has to prove you guilty. It doesn't matter if you are factually guilty or factually innocent. Every single one of us has the right under the Constitution to stand our ground and have our uh, our declaration that we're not guilty persist until and unless the government can prove us guilty or they agree to give us some sort of resolution to waive all of our valuable trial rights. Our thanks to DUI defense attorney Mike Nichols with the Nichols Law Firm in East Lansing, Michigan, for being our guest on Ask a Lawyer with Steve Sleeper. His phone number is 517-432-9000, and his website is nickelslaw.net.